I, I want to ask if you can turn in your Bibles, please, to, to Mark chapter 4, and we later are going to turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture. Um, I think you'd agree with me that we live in a world, we live in a, a day and age that claims that answers can be found just with a few keystrokes on a keyboard. Um, facing troubles, facing difficulties, unsure, unsure of what to do, the world tells us that we can, we can go straight to the internet and we'd be able to find solutions, uh, answers to questions that we might have. And I say that kind of as an introduction to, to what I want to teach on today, just to say that today's sermon is probably going to uh, stir up some questions in you. And I, I want to be clear that I'm not going to be able to answer every single one of those questions through, through today's sermon. There are times when we face storms and difficulties in life that leave us lost or confused or uncertain. And I, I, I'm not guaranteeing that today is going to be able to answer those questions. There are times in life when uh, life kind of feels like we're, we're, we're in a boat and we're straining on the oars and it seems like we're going nowhere. Uh, I'm sure many, if not all of us, can probably testify to, to what, that, what that feels like. There are times when we face storms, and just as we get over one storm, we seem to face another, and another, and another. And maybe that's been your testimony for the last few months, or maybe even for some the last few years. And for those of us who, who, who are followers of Jesus, perhaps the biggest question, perhaps the most challenging question that we face is that when we go through storms, there are times when, if we're honest, it feels like Jesus is distant, or, or maybe even disinterested in the challenges that we face. I, see, I say, seems like. We're going to get to um, what I believe Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6 teach us about Jesus and our challenge, and, and what it looks like as we, as we go through storms. I don't need to stand here and share personal stories of some of the challenges that I've been through or that we've been through as a family for, for me to convince you that this is the experience that we face uh, in life. But without being able to answer every single question, there are some, there are some questions, there are some truths that I want to teach today that if, if we're able to grab hold of, if we're able to, 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 to take those truths on, I believe what the Bible teaches will enable, will, will enable us to see those questions being overcome or being diluted, or being drowned out by the truth of God's Word. Maybe not necessarily answered in, in entirety, but certainly drowned out by the truth of God's Word. Truths like Jesus alone has the authority to still storms that we face. Jesus alone has the authority to walk on the waves of the storms that we might find ourselves in. The fact that Jesus sees us in the storm. And because Jesus sees us in the storm, he will always do one of two things. He will either silence the storm or he will ensure that we get through the storm. He always will do one of those two things. And perhaps most importantly, the truth that I, if there's one truth that I want us to grasp today, it's the truth that not only, do, do, not only does Jesus see us, but I think more significantly, we get to see Jesus. We get to, we get to experience, we get, to, we, we get a glimpse of Jesus in the midst of a storm that we perhaps have never seen before 
an aspect of his character, part of his nature, a truth of who he is, is revealed in a storm like any other. Mark chapter 6, Jesus says to his disciples, take courage. His disciples are in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night. Does that sound familiar? Being in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night. And Jesus meets his disciples and he says, take courage. It's me. It's, it is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's what we're going to learn about this morning. Mark chapter 1, 2, and 3 uh, uh, is Mark kind of jumping in in the deep end, as it were, to explain and to show us what the kingdom of God is like. Mark, Mark's gospel is, uh, is an incredible gospel. It's action-packed. From the, very, from the very first verse, Mark kind of jumps right in and he tells us who Jesus is and he tells us what the kingdom of God looks like. And in the first three chapters of Mark's gospel, he tells us account after account of Jesus ministering and releasing the power of God. And in doing so, he tells us that the kingdom of God looks like things like freedom and and healing and closeness with God and forgiveness and community and acceptance and calling. But now in Mark chapter 4, what Mark wants to do is he wants to, he wants to put some teaching to the action. It's, a, it's kind of like a, an old-fashioned show and tell. He's shown us what the kingdom of God is like. Now he wants to tell us what the kingdom of, of God is like. And what Mark does is he chooses three parables that Jesus has told to explain to us what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a person, a farmer, who goes out with seed to sow. And as this farmer scatters seed, some of the seed falls on, on, on hard paths, on paved ground. Some of the seed falls in rocky places, and some of the seed falls among thorns. And in those places, the seed isn't able to take root and, and eventually sprout and produce fruit. In verse 30 of Mark chapter 4, Jesus also tells us that there's sometimes the work of God, the, 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 the work of the kingdom of God seems so small, seems so inconsequential that it's like this mustard seed that's planted in a garden. And it's the smallest of all the seeds. But what Jesus tells us in both those stories, where the seed is sown faithfully and lands in good soil, Jesus promises that there will be a harvest. There will be a supernatural harvest, a harvest not 30, 60, 100 fold. That mustard seed that was planted in the garden will eventually flourish. That small inconsequential work uh, where, where the kingdom of God seems so small in a person's heart or so small in a neighborhood or a city, God declares, God promises that eventually it will grow and become, as he says, this mustard tree, which is the largest in, in the garden. And in between those two parables, Jesus tells this very interesting parable in verse 26 through 29. It's the parable of the growing seed. He's driving home the, the point that God's word is powerful. And he tells this parable, it's a very short parable. It's often a parable that I think is overlooked, and I think it's one of the most significant it's a person, he tells us, this person, again, plants a seed, and whether this person is awake or not, the seed grows, and the seed sprouts, and eventually this plant produces fruit. That's the power of God's Word. 
Whether we are asleep or not, God's kingdom is at work. And I think at this point, we have to ask ourselves some questions, because these parables do challenge us in some ways. And before we get to the storms that we're going to look at in Mark chapter 4, I want to just ask, uh, I'm going to ask us, myself included, just a couple of questions. Will we truly believe that the word of Jesus is like a seed that carries power to bear fruit? Do we really believe that God's word is like a seed that has the power to bear fruit? Will we trust Jesus and his word to do the work even though we don't know how? Will we trust Jesus and his word to do the work even though we don't know how it is going to come to pass? Or are we going to worry about things like wind and waves and unexpected storms instead of trusting in God's word? Because that's the challenge that was before the disciples as we start to work our way through Mark chapter 4. So let's pick up the account in Mark chapter 4 verse 35. And it says, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, this is very important. That was Jesus' word to the disciples. That was Jesus saying to the disciples, we are going over to the other side. Now, the question I want to ask you is, what has God said to you? What is Jesus saying to you? What is the promise Jesus has made to you? Maybe it's just as, as simple as the challenge or the encouragement that Deb's brought this morning, that God wants to... Uh, stir a fire within you so that you can burn for those around you to see. Maybe it's as simple as that. But what is the word of God to you? What is the promise? Think about that. I want the sermon to be practical. I, I don't want the sermon just to be kind of a good teaching. I, I want it to be practical. So think about the promise, the word of God that is specific to you. Leaving the crowd behind, verse 36, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. In verse 37, it says a furious squall. The, the Greek word is the word megas, M-E-G-A-S. It's where in English we get things like megawatt or megabit or mega church. It was a mega storm is what, is what we need to take home. It was a, a furious squall. This massive storm broke out, came up, and the winds broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, you might remember earlier... Jesus was, the, the, the lake was so calm that Jesus was able to use the boat as a pulpit. He, he was standing on the boat and the crowds were on the shore and Jesus was teaching. And now, unexpectedly, this furious storm broke out. Can we identify to kind of unexpected, furious storms that break, break out in our lives where previously things had been calm? But in this storm, look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Jesus was in the stern, in the boat, in the midst of the storm. He was, he was uh, sleeping on a cushion. What, what, is Jesus, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is living out the teaching that he's just given about the growing seed. He just said, Jesus just taught a parable about a person who, who sows seed, and whether he's awake or not, the, the, the seed will produce fruit. Jesus is, doing, Jesus is putting his faith in the fact that his life will not end at the bottom of Lake Galilee, but his life will end as the Father had promised on a cross on Golgotha. That's the promise that God has, has given him. And Jesus is putting his faith in that word. He, he's putting his faith in verse 27. 
night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed, the promise, the word of God sprouts and, and, and grows, though he does not how. He, he's putting his faith in the fact that the Father is in control. But the disciples obviously aren't, because look at the, at the next verse. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I've asked some ridiculous questions in my life. But this probably is one of the most ridiculous questions ever to be asked. Jesus, don't you, don't you care if we drown? Some translations say, don't, we care, don't you care that we are perishing? That word perish is exactly the same word as used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believe in him shall not perish. What the disciples are saying is essentially, Jesus, we, we thought you were the Savior sent from God to come and to save those who are perishing, and we're perishing, and you don't care. Friends, when we take our eyes off the promise of God's Word and we place it on the storm, not only do we forget the promise, but we lose sight of the one who made the promise. That's the challenge of storms. We must be careful not to take our eyes off the promise and place it on the storm because not only do we feel overwhelmed by the storm, but we lose sight of the one who made the promise. I did a little exercise a while ago in one of my devotions. When I was reading through this particular passage, I, I, I wrote down in my journal a list of all the promises that were kind of on my heart. And I closed my eyes, and with each promise, I took a moment to think, to picture myself. Am I like Jesus, asleep in the storm? Or am I like the disciples, frantically running around trying to make things happen? And I think it's something maybe I can encourage you to do sometime this week, is to perhaps take a moment and just to jot down a couple of promises that God has given you that you're still to see to come to pass. Close your eyes, take a moment, ask God, God, am I like the disciples, frantic? and trying to make things happen in my own strength? Or are you like Jesus, asleep in the storm, trusting in the power of God's word? Verse 39, he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. Uh, uh, sorry, he, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I, I don't for a moment confess to understand all of this. You know, uh, when is a storm from God and when is a storm from the devil and when do we have the right to kind of rebuke storms? Society will tell us that there are things called acts of God. And if you don't know what those are, just look on your insurance policy and there will be a statement saying acts of God. Uh, and I don't for a moment understand which are acts of God and which are not. But what is interesting is in this storm, Jesus not, doesn't choose to submit to an act of God, but he rebukes the storm like he rebuked the devil in Mark chapter 1. He uses exactly the same language. And the result? Calm. Completely calm. It's the same Greek word that we spoke earlier. Remember mega storm, megas? Same Greek word, mega calm. From, 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 from absolute chaos, mega storm, to absolute calm and peace. And so he said to his disciples, verse 40, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Well, essentially what, what, what he's saying to his disciples is after all that we've been through, after all the miracles that you've seen me perform, after all the times that, that, that I've made a promise and I've been faithful to fulfill the promise, 
after all the teaching that I've shown you about what the kingdom of God is and who I am, Jesus is saying, why? Why are you still so afraid? Why do you still doubt? Let me go back to those questions I asked earlier. Will we truly believe that the word of God is a seed which carries the power to bear fruit all by itself? Will we trust Jesus and his word to do the work even though we don't know how? Or will we worry and be consumed by the wind and the waves and unexpected storms and struggle to trust in God's word? In verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right, let's fast forward to Mark chapter 6. A couple of chapters on, Mark chapter 6. And if you know your New Testament, if you know the, the gospel of Mark, we are encountering now, we're going to be encountering an, another storm, a second storm that his, has, that his disciples face. And we're going to pick up the story from verse 45. So Mark chapter 6 and verse 45, it says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples. That's a little uncomfortable. Right off the bat, verse 45, we know what's coming. It's another storm. And Jesus made his disciples. Now, if you dig into the Greek, if you dig into the original language, hopefully you think that maybe that it's just a little bit of a mistranslation with the English. But unfortunately, it doesn't get any better. Jesus compelled his disciples. Jesus, in some ways, kind of insisted that his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. How do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of the fact that Jesus placed his disciples, insisted, compelled his disciples to get into a boat and to go through a storm to get to the place where they wanted, where he wanted them to go? Uh, I don't know about you, but I've faced storms that have been fairly varied. Um, one of the reasons, I was going to say, no, this is not the true reason why we chose Chicago, but I'm grateful that we chose Chicago because we don't have things like hurricanes and tornadoes, and I'm quite afraid of natural disasters. It, they, they really do freak me out. In South Africa, I was playing in a high school golf tournament, and we were playing in this particular region of South Africa where a friend of mine was from, and he told me, it doesn't rain this time of year. And we played on, in this golf tournament on day one, and it was pouring with rain, and day two, it got even worse, and day three was even worse than the first two days. And it turned out that that was the start of a hurricane that hit South Africa. Um, we played in, the, in a golf tournament for the first three days. Uh, fast forward a couple of years later, and again, another golf story. So maybe I should be giving up golf, and uh, I find myself in these awkward situations. But we were up in Johannesburg, which is, um, which is a, a fairly high elevation, fairly high altitude. And uh, the, the, uh, Johannesburg is known for its electric storms on, in the summer. And we were playing golf. And it was a beautiful day, and then quite quickly a storm rolled in, and then we heard the, the siren. It's a, most golf courses in Johannesburg are equipped with a weather siren to force golf, golfers to get off the course before an electric storm comes. And we were in this fairly remote part of the golf course, and, and the siren went, and across the way there was a house being built, and we were like, let's scurry our way across there. As you can see, I'm, I'm not short, and I was the tallest thing around between where we were and the house off in the distance, and so we start kind of walking fairly, okay, well, well I was not going to mention that, but it was raining hard as well, and so I was carrying an umbrella at the same time. The umbrella was made of steel, yes. It was a foolish thing to do, so I'm scurrying across, assuming that I would never get struck by lightning, and 
This is, uh, this is as true, as, as, true as, as anything I know to be true. I was walking across the, the way, and I felt just the sense of, get ready, something's about to happen. And I turned to my right, and out of the sky came this lightning bolt. And it didn't strike me, but it struck six feet away from me. I mean, I could, it literally came out of the sky and struck the ground. And I was flung forward. Nothing wrong with me other than my right arm just was, you know, tingling from, from the electric shock. I believe I was saved by the grace of God despite my foolishness. I mean, that's literally my, my testimony. I say all that. That's not the point of the sermon. I, I say all of that to say, to say natural storms are varied. And let's be honest, life storms can be varied too. Without being overly simplistic, I think life storms can come at us. Sometimes it's the opposition from the devil. When we say yes to God, when we say, Lord, you've spoken and, I, and I'm going I'm to do what it is you've called me to do, the devil rises up and opposes the plans of, of God in our lives. We shouldn't be surprised when we make courageous decisions for God to then face opposition. Sometimes storms come at us because of our foolishness because of our weakness, because of sin, or because of, uh, of poor decisions that we are making as we trust to step up into the plan of God. And, and this might surprise you, but I do believe sometimes life storms come at us because we struggle with God's delay. We get a glimpse, we get a, we, we get a sense of where God is taking us, and we struggle in the waiting, and so we try to make things happen. And sometimes life storms come because of a combination of all three. But friends, God doesn't cause the storms, but God uses the storms to shape Christ in us, to, to, to work His plan and purpose so that we are more surrendered to Him and in the process become more like His Son. But in every single storm, friends, this is so important to understand, God will never test us beyond our ability to handle. And that's the promise of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Listen to this. No test, no storm, in other words, no test, no storm that comes your way, no matter its source, is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All of you need to remember that, it is, that God will never let you down. He will never let you be pushed past your limits. He'll always be there to help you to come through. Sometimes we think God is pushing us to the point of failure. I don't like to think of it that way. The way I like to think of it is God is pushing us to the point of faith, to the point where we finally surrender and acknowledge, Lord, I cannot do it in my own strength. I need to trust in you. I'm pushing everything over into your side. I put my faith in you. And friends, that's what the disciples were going through. That's the reason why God compelled his disciples to get into the boat because he wanted them to come to the place where they surrendered all to the, to the fact that he was at work in and through their lives. Verse 46, after leaving them, Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. Verse 48, look at this. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. I hope that encourages you if you right now feel like you're in a boat straining on the oars. Jesus saw 
the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against him in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night. But, I love this, shortly before dawn. I, I want you to picture that. The darkness of night, the middle of the lake, the middle of the storm, and just on the horizon, dawn begins to break. You can start to see the light. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Did you see that? Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Well, which is it? Was he walking to them or was he walking past them? I mean, it's a, li it's a little confusing. It seems like what Mark is doing is actually contradicting himself. I mean, is, is Jesus walking off the mountain and onto the lake so that he can walk to the disciples, or is he intending to walk past the disciples to the other side? Well, the answer is both. The, these disciples knew their Old Testament. They knew that the only one who was able to walk on water, Job teaches this, Psalms teaches this, the only one who was able to walk on water is God. So they get, they, they're having a sense that Jesus is trying to communicate something by walking on water. But this, this phrase, he passed by them, is such a significant phrase. Exodus chapter 33 and Exodus chapter 4, Mark intentionally borrows the phrase that is revealed to us in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, where God intentionally says to Moses, I will pass by you, and in passing by you, I'm going to reveal the very person, or the, the very nature of who I am. And in Exodus 34, it goes on to say, and God passed by in front of Moses, proclaiming, I am the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, abounding in love and faithfulness. Essentially, what I'm trying to hopefully share with you and for you to grab is this phrase, to pass by, is the moment where God reveals himself to Moses. And Mark is telling us that that's exactly what Jesus was doing to his disciples, in the midst of a storm, he was revealing God's very nature to them. He was showing them an aspect of his character. He intended to be revealed. And friends, can I say to, to all of us that in the midst of the storms that we face, find ourselves in, God intends to reveal something of his character and his nature to you. You see, Jesus could have taken his disciples up onto the mountain with him. In fact, he does that in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes his disciples up onto the mountain with him. And there are times when we have these mountaintop experiences. There are times when we're in prayer and it feels like the glory of God fills the room. There are times when we go to conferences and, and speaker after speaker seems like they're speaking to, to, to us. And we come away as if we have been on a mountaintop with God. But there are times in the midst of a financial crisis, in the midst of a health crisis, in the midst of a relational struggle, in the midst of those storms, friends, there is something specific and unique that God wants to reveal to us about himself. And so if or when you face a storm, can I encourage you, open the eyes of your heart because God wants to show himself to you. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost and they cried out because all they saw, uh, because they all saw him and were terrified. 
And immediately he spoke to them and he said, take courage, take courage. It is I, or take courage, I am. That's another reference back to Exodus chapter 34. Take courage, I am. I am God, I am with you. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with him and the wind died down and they were completely amazed for they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Verse uh, 53, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. Now, do you remember where they were going? At the start of this passage that we looked at, they were going to Bethsaida. And it says here, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. They, They had been blown off course. Does that feel familiar to anyone here? When we, when we think, okay, this is where we're going. We're going to Bethsaida. And we find ourselves in the midst of a storm and we land at Gennesaret. We've been blown off course, but look at what happened. Verse 54, as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And whenever, wherever he went into villages, towns, and countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplace. They begged him to touch, they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. The kingdom of God broke out in the place where they thought they had been, been blown off course to. This is Romans chapter 8. Verse 28 in action, God works all things for good, for his, good, for his glory, and for our good. Friends, our, our hope and our confidence in the midst of storms is not a, a pithy, oh, this is God's will, I'm going to get through. Again, I, I, I could tell you story after story of storms that, that I've been through personally, that we've been through as a family. And there were times when I would say, I would find strength in saying, this must be God's will. And again, I, I don't stand here to, and claim to know all the answers, but can I say, our strength should not be in some kind of half-hearted claim that perhaps this might be God's will, but our strength needs to be found in the fact that only Jesus has the authority to walk on the waves of whatever we go through. And only Jesus has the authority to silence storms. So three points as we land, three little applications, and then I'm finished. Well, before we get to the first of the, those three applications, let me just say this. There is one thing, and I need this is important, there is one thing above all else that these verses reveal to us. And that is the fact that Jesus is God. Above all else, before we get to the personal application, and we'll go there, things that we can do and things that we can take home, can I just say that above all else, like the rest of not just the Gospels or the New Testament or Scriptures, but above all else, that's what these verses reveal. And if you want to know what God is like, and I know this might be basic for most of us here, but if you want to know what God is like, we look to the person of Jesus. And we find him in the Gospels, and we read about him in the, in the epistles, and in fact, from Genesis to Revelation. And so I encourage you, I encourage myself as well, let's be found in the Word of God. Not asking of God, what does this mean for me? But Lord, how does this show me who the Son of God is? 
Having said that, let's get to the three quick applications. Firstly, Jesus sees us in the storm. Jesus sees us in the storm. And the reason he sees us in the storm is because he is always praying for us. He's always praying for us. Jesus was up on the top of the mountain praying for his disciples while they were in the midst of the storm. And according to Romans chapter 8, he's the interceding son of God. We sang about it this morning, King Jesus, the interceding son of God. No matter what you are going through, no matter how devastating it is, no matter how, how, how overwhelming it is, let me tell you, we go to friends and we say, please, will you pray for me? And sometimes they will and sometimes they'll forget. But you know who will never forget? You know who will never stop praying for, for you and for me? That is the interceding Son of God. Jesus sees us in the midst of storms because Jesus is always praying for us. The second thing we can take home is that Jesus will do one of two things, always. He will either silence the storm or he will get us through the storm. Guaranteed. Every time, Jesus will do one of two things. He will either silence the storm, he will rebuke the wind and the waves, or he will pull us through. He will take us through to the other side. But most importantly, above all, all of those, those two things, the most important thing that we can take home, hopefully, from this is that in every storm, we see him. In every storm, we see him. I, I love the, the picture of Jesus praying on the mountain as his disciples were, 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 on, were in the midst of the storm. And, and Jesus gets up and he walks down the mountain and he walks onto the lake and through the storm so that he can reveal something of who God is to his disciples. Nothing was going to hold him back from doing that. And again, friends, I, I want to encourage you, if, if you are in the midst of a storm, the question to be asked. Sometimes we ask why, and sometimes we ask who's causing this, but I think the question to be asked is, God, what? What do you want to show me about yourself? What is it that you want to reveal? Let's just close our eyes for a moment if we can.